This is our extended Brad Sucks edition of Resident Frequency. All the music uh, that you will hear on this episode is from the album I Don't Know What I'm Doing by Brad Sucks. And I thought we'd do a little bit of a change. Uh, Once in a great while, yes, I love the blues, but I have to listen to something else. Let me throw this disclaimer in there. I have screened all the songs for explicit words. There's an occasional bad word in these in the uh, Brad Sucks uh, library. However, I believe I pulled out the songs that do not have them. In any case, they may be offensive anyway. Do not play them in front of your children, your wife, your your uh, mother-in-law, or your boss. Now, having said all of that, it's good to uh, be back once again. Uh, I had somebody ask me a question the other day. When are you going to put out episode? When are you going to put out episode? Well, the fact of the matter is I put these episodes out on the same schedule that I've been putting them out for, uh, I guess, the last couple years. Um we found pretty quick in the process that uh, because of the amount of uh, work I have to do and that kind of stuff, and the fact that this is a privately funded uh, situation for the most part, uh, except for y'all that have made donations, thank you very much, by the way, um, uh, that is the schedule that works best. I can at least get them out on a consistent basis that way. Alrighty, so... Now we've uh, done all that minor stuff. Let's uh, jump on some feedback and let's see what people are saying. Our first piece of feedback is from Noel, WB0VGI. And Noel says, great job on the podcast. If you want to discuss space weather someday, we can talk about it. I do space physics research here at Augsburg College and operate the site Space augsburg.edu we have uh, live instruments for geophysical data in the antarctic in the arctic and antarctic we monitor magnetic fields aurora radio signals electron precipitation and many other parameters at unmanned observatories in the antarctic there are these are called agos 
or automatic geophysical observatories. In the Arctic, things are a little simpler in that we can site our instruments at airports using their power and network connections to get data back in near real time. I operate some PSK-31 and some UHF-VHF satellite from Harris, Minnesota in EN-35. 73, Noel, WB0VGI. Well, thank you, Noel. And it's uh, it's good to hear from you. And yes, we did a... Uh, we did do a propagation episode, uh, which uh, pretty much uh, kind of covered some of that stuff. However, I'm thinking it's a subject that probably needs to be covered in more depth. And it's always nice to have somebody offering to uh, come on board and help us out with that. So uh, we will probably be getting back with you. You uh, you hang in there. Things uh we will try and get uh, an episode set up where we can bring you on and us talk about space weather because that is important, especially since the, we have uh, unusually low solar activity going on during this cycle. And uh, some of the some of the guys who really study that stuff are uh, saying we may not have a cycle at all. So we'll uh, we'll check into that. Okay, our next piece of feedback comes from uh, came through the website. From John, KD0FLF. That's not because I'm misreading it on purpose. That's because I'm blind. KD0FLF. And he says, John says, like the podcast, the music, got my general tech in one sitting last fall and having a great time on the two meter in my vintage Cessna tail dragger, meeting new people on cross countries just getting into hf on an 857 just love my pack 12 mobile antenna best 65 dollars i've spent very interesting in the light in the live but i'm still listening to episode 36 as they uh, say in the upper peninsula of michigan giver give our I don't know. I've never been to Michigan. Thank you, for, thank you, John. And uh, oh yeah, uh, Arrow Mobile—that's one of them stories I don't often get a chance to tell. Uh, I've been licensed about a year and a half, and we had a simplex frequency on VHF that we used quite regularly. And uh, one day I was sitting out at uh, field day of all things in my car, sitting there resting, having a smoke. And had the radio on and ended up talking to a guy that was coming up out of the airport down in Waco. So that was a five-watt uh, communication for me over 100 miles. It was really cool. Really cool. It's glad you're uh, – I am glad to hear that you are really enjoying yourself with, with the hobby. And that 857 is a little brother of my 897. And I've seen quite a few of those in operation, and they're great little radios. So keep it up, John. It's good to hear from you. All right. Next piece of feedback we've got comes from uh, Lance, K7LDS. Richard, I should have written earlier, but I get busy and forget. I just wanted you to know that the Mesquite Club and its members have been instrumental in my getting back into ham radio and upgrading my license. 
I know you spend a lot of time on your podcast and must wonder if any good comes of it. Well, for me, it did. I like listening to your Texas voice and how you move a sentence around. I just laugh as I drive and listen to you. You could be a comedian. I've been told that. I don't know why, but I have been told that. The information you give give out may sometimes seem basic, but it's still good and good to get again. Well, it's about reinforcement. The complicated stuff is given in a way that's understandable. Keep it up and don't lose hope. We need to meet meet sometime so I can put a face with the voice. Bad idea. That could be scary. Uh, yeah, that's what he says. By, by the way, I figured out my radio problem. I think it was an RF shorting problem. It works now, and I made several contacts on HF. Exciting. Thanks Thanks again. Enjoy yourself. 73's Lance K7LDS. And thank you, Lance, for... Uh, getting back in touch with me that's that was my suggestion is uh retrace your uh your coax run because you it's really easy when you're running coax in a car to uh strip the jacket back or uh pinch it pinch the coax so that you end up getting a short so i'm glad we were able to get that squared away and you're on the air where this pertains to the mesquite club folks he is talking about me also me and others and uh that's one of the benefits of belonging to your local club because they will sure enough uh, get you motivated and get you pointed in the right direction in a lot of cases. Uh, unfortunately, no, we're not even going to start on that. Okay, so our next piece of feedback comes from Derek. And uh, I don't, Derek didn't put a call sign with it. I'm sure the email tells. Uh, thank you for the great show. I just got into ham radio this year. Okay, he does have a call sign. And I'm trying to soak up as much information as I can. Your site and podcasts are just full of information on so many different topics. Well, that's because I'm flaky and I jump around. It is amazing. Although I am not a complete fan of the music portions, of course not, it... uh, it too keeps my mind busy while listening to your cast. I am also quite envious of the number of people on the radio in your area, so it seems uh, much big, busier than up here. Thanks for a great show. I look forward to hearing more in the future. Well, there you go, and thank you, Derek, for writing in. Uh, that one also came through the contact list at the website. I probably need to fix that up for y'all so it's a little prettier and easier to use. Um, as far as the music concerned, well, uh, I like the blues. The people that uh, the uh, it's been overwhelmingly uh, positive on the uh, on the music. You know, uh, a lot of times we do have older folk, uh, folks that are more my age than the younger folks. Uh, seems the average amateur radio age is moving up again. It was moving down for a long time. However, uh, as you can tell by this episode, we're going to occasionally change it up a little bit. But blues is blues, and uh, I really can't change that. Now, as far as the uh, 
number of people in our area, you have to understand the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. It's uh, on the low end of the list. I mean, it's not like New York or Los Angeles or something like that, but we have a lot of people here. You can sure tell it. Uh, you go into any store or restaurant around here, and it's just people breathing the air and everything else. So uh, with that comes uh, the same percentage amateur radio operators as there would be anywhere else. Therefore, we got a got a boatload of got a lot of them, and ninety nine percent of them are wonderful folks. You have your occasional. Uh, occasional megalomaniac you have your occasional uh elitist you have your occasional uh ham with a bad attitude but that happens everywhere you go so derek thank you for uh writing in and it's good to hear from you uh let us know what your call sign is so that uh next time we can do more than just derek uh let me know where you are too so uh we can get an idea how few hams there are in your area make sure makes contesting easier all right so the next piece of feedback we've got uh looks to me like it came from uh the forums at black sparrow media and who was it oh that's lance again all righty lance would like to see as far as future topics uh how about mobile installation hints I recently installed a mobile in my minivan and am still having trouble with it. And this is the problem that we straightened up. It's just uh, both those emails came in between shows and I answered him on it. But anyway, uh, HF while transmitting high SWR, I think a lot of hams today are mobile and this would help. Try it out, see what happens. Maybe there are some Elmers out there that can offer advice. And that's from Lance, K7LDS. All right. And that is a good suggestion. And we should probably cover mobile installations. But you have to understand there's more disciplines involved in mobile installations than just uh, one particular thing. You have to worry about wire gauges, uh, distances, uh, runs of coax, uh, installing the radio where you have good grounds, all this good stuff. It's a pretty lengthy subject, but we are going to cover it. We just need to figure out how to format that where we can do it without having a seven-hour show. So that is in my mind, Lance, and I am going to stay on top of it. And it just so happens we have another one from Lance, which came in uh, via email from the website. And it says, suggestion, instead of trying to say complete URLs during the show, refer listeners to the show notes at the website. I listen to your podcast while driving or jogging. And whatever I find, and I find it hard to write down the information. I usually check show notes and uh, on other podcasts for information I heard uh, during the show. Your show is very informative, and I like listening to it all. I like listening to all the segments. Uh, the live show was a bit distracting because you would laugh at a comment on things that you saw in you saw, but I could not. And that's stuff in the chat room, I'm sure. Listen to a TV program without watching the video. Well, that's a bad suggestion because I do that all the time. 
see what I mean. Enjoy. Lance K7LDS. Lance has been very helpful on this episode. He gives me a chance to answer lots of lots of stuff. Okay. Everybody knows, any of y'all that have been listening, I have said it more than once. I am horrible at show notes. Anybody who's been listening to us since the second or third episode, they know I'm horrible with show notes. So I'll ask all of you if uh, any of you are interested in helping out with the show notes. And that would just be a minute. that would just be a matter of listening to the episode and typing up some show notes and us getting it posted on the website. I would definitely be interested in some help. There's been many times that I've requested help on this program, and the only the only response I ever really got uh, that turned into anything for this particular uh, program itself, not the live show, not the other show or anything else, was... Uh, ended up turning into the other show because I felt that Russ was better suited for us to do that show since I had been considering it anyway. And that's how that happened. So if any of y'all want to help out with any of this stuff, you know, let me know via email because I don't have one problem with that. This show it could be a lot larger, a lot more frequent, a lot better if I, it was not a solo enterprise. So y'all consider that a little while. And last month I was remiss. We did get a couple of donations and I failed to discuss them. So let me, uh, let me go ahead and run those through real quick. One is for Mike, uh, Mike up in Syracuse, Utah. I didn't know there was a Syracuse, Utah. Mike in Syracuse, Utah. I do not have that call sign available, but thank you very much, Mike, and we appreciate everything that you do for us. And uh, we definitely will roll that back into the funds so we can try and upgrade some more material. Turns out we need a noise gate because people are griping about it somewhere else. We also received uh, last month a donation from uh, Kirk Illion. Now, I just said his last name, and I don't do that. Uh, Kirk up in San Gabriel, California. Kirk, thank you very much. And once again, we will roll it right into the general fund and see if we can't make some more equipment happen with it and so we can improve the quality of the show. Since we're on the subject of donations, let me go ahead and run through that really quick. Um, we did The donations have dropped to zero again. Uh, these are donations that came in before the last, sh- last episode. Since then, nada. I would really appreciate it if y'all would go over to the website, click on the uh, uh, little graphic that says uh, make a donation, and go on over there and, uh, you know, send us something, a dollar, two dollars, whatever you can afford. Because every dollar you put in helps us improve the quality of the program. I was talking earlier about this being a one-man enterprise. The uh, more money we have coming in in donations means that I have that I can work fewer hours to make the cash that it takes to keep this operation going. Nothing will ever be charged for where resonant frequency, the amateur radio podcast, is concerned. But donations are always happily accepted. If you go over and check out the donation link at uh, at uh, doggone it, 
at rfpodcast.info, rfpodcast.info, which is the actual website for this show. Uh, and click on the donation link. Not only will you find that you can make a one-time donation, you can also make a reoccurring donation. Uh, what they call where we take the donations, a subscription, but there is still no subscription to resonant frequency. It is just a reoccurring donation, a monthly donation. I believe I have it set up for one, five, ten, and twenty dollars, whatever can work for you. And if you would like to do that, that works too. Uh, even you can even go over to Amazon if you'll come over to uh, or go over to BlackSparrowMedia.com, and I need to get that uh, set up over at the RFPodcast.info site. But if you go to BlackSparrowMedia.com and click on the Amazon uh, ad and go over to Amazon and purchase something over there, we actually get 4% of that sales. It doesn't cost you anything extra. It comes out of Amazon's pocket. So uh, we are able to uh, purchase things through Amazon because of the... because of sending folks over to Amazon.com. There's quite a few ways to donate. And the fact of the matter is, like I said, uh, one of the reasons we don't do the show more often, it's one-man operation around here. Uh, and I have to pull that cash out of my pocket in a lot of cases. I have to spend the time to do it and everything else. And for every hour of audio I bring y'all, it takes me six, seven, eight hours to get it all put together. So it is a little bit of work. Another reason I need a little help over here, but that's okay. All right, what else do we want to talk about before we go on to the first se- go on to the next segment? Uh, I had it on the tip of my tongue, but it's 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 slipped away. Oh my God! And I hate telling telling stuff on the tail end because I'm sure y'all cut it off before we get there. Um, Oh, I remember what it is. Okay, uh, the live show. We haven't had a live show in two months. Now, I got to thinking about the live show, and I need to put it to you guys, and I need more than one email on this, folks, more than one person chiming in on this. If we do the show at Ustream.tv, that means that uh, unless you're a member at Ustream, we're probably not going to be able to get your audio or video on to the podcast and if we do get your video on the podcast then it will not show up in the recorded version what i need to know from y'all is if you would prefer something that was more like a call-in system uh we have a couple of options available there uh one of them is talk shoe and in that case there would be a dial-in number and then you would press a conference number and be able to come on in and all we would have to do is open your mic and there you'd be whether you were on the telephone or whatever. So we have some options on that. I really would like to get the live show going, but as Lance uh, said earlier, with the live Ustream show, one of the downsides of that is we've got the chat room and that kind of stuff, which is not going to show, not going to come up in the recorded version, which I plan on putting out through the uh, podcast feed. 
So, if any of y'all are interested in that, let me know. Let me remind you one more time. This is our special Brad Sucks edition of Resonant Frequency. Uh, I've screened the music best I can. Doesn't mean I got everything, but I think I screened it best I can. And uh, you may not want to play this in front of folks. And I'm, I really hope that I got all the bad words on out because y'all really don't want Richard running loose without the threat of the explicit tag over his head. Uh, that would be bad. So with that, I think we've covered just about everything. Y'all hang around for uh, inform- contact information, stuff like that on the end, and ways to find this lovely lovely music and we'll be right back talked about this subject before and uh unfortunately it's something i feel we need to revisit just for uh just for the sake of conversation if nothing else 
you have to ask yourself, and I run around asking myself this quite often, are we living in the age of the rude amateur radio operator? You know, this is, all goes back to the mentoring thing, the elmering thing, and everything else. You know, I always tell stories about when I first got licensed. There was a, the idealized first licensed, everything's wonderful and everything else. But I do remember things that I don't really see nowadays. You know, uh, used to, or at least everyone I met the first four or five years that I was licensed, would fall over themselves trying to help you out, helping you learn the hobby, helping you uh, get your radios set up and everything else. It didn't matter what amateur radio operator you came across, they had some sort of help for the new ham radio operator. Nowadays, things are different. One, one incident that stands out in my mind is I recently received an email from a listener, and it was, you know, one of these, how can I do this better, uh, what can I do to avoid this? But one of the passages in the email really struck home with me, and that is that he, is, he was new to HF. He had been uh, trying to get some conversations going. He had even gone down on some of the lower bands and hooked up with some of the guys that have a, a regular set-around rag chew on a particular frequency and and that kind of stuff. And what ended up happening was he was in there and he was trying to talk with these guys, and one of them told him that uh, they'd prefer that he left the frequency because his tiny little low-power signal was really messing up their communications. Well, you know what? That's the problem. You got so many guys out there now that uh, all they know how to do is fire up an amplifier. And, uh, you know, if something happened to their equipment, they'd be off the air for six months. And I'm sorry if I sound like I'm getting a little frustrated because, you know, stuff like that angers me. It'd been much more productive to find out who this guy was and guide him along on uh, getting a better signal going in their opinion. You know, I myself, I'm a low-power guy. I have been over 100 watts. In fact, I had a uh, 170-watt packet station at one time. However, uh, the need for an amplifier in the 20 years I've been licensed, I can only think of one instance where I actually needed one. And that was because the bands were so bad while we were doing communications for Katrina. And even with that, uh, we were still able to take care of most of what needed to be done at lower power levels. Of course, this segment is not about power levels. This is a segment about rude hams. So, um, you know, I'd like to hear what y'all think about stuff like that. You know, for the most part, we remember the Elmers that have helped us along. And we tend to try and forget about the ones that have been a problem. You know, this is not a new phenomenon. It may just be more prevalent because we have more people in the hobby now than we did when I got licensed. 
uh, roughly 30% more, 40% more people, which is a pretty considerable chunk. Because the actually the first club I belonged to were very anti-new people. They went along talking about how they wanted the new people involved and everything else, but they would do things like uh, try and shut the repeater down at night so the new guys weren't able to talk. And it was more about laziness on the part of the trustee or the uh, folks monitoring the machine at the time than anything else. Uh, they always tried to ramrod and railroad uh, things through because they were a 501c3 ham club, which is another sore spot with me. But because they had a board of trustees the board of trustees knew what was good for everybody whether everybody knew it or not because of this they went from a club of nearly nearly seven eight hundred people i'll take it back probably 500 500 members uh down to a club of less than 100 for a while they're starting to build back up because there's a whole different philosophy over there now uh, it's still not great, but it's better than it was. So uh, this may not be entirely a f- new phenomenon. It just may be more prevalent. You know, I can also equate that to uh, a local club, another local club, which at this time has Megalomaniac as the uh, president of that club who thinks he's right and knows everything about amateur radio because he's been licensed so long, even though he took 15, 10, 15 years out uh, to play daddy and homebody and just came back a year or two back and has the tendency to even try and pick fights with people on the repeater, wants to have verbal exchanges on the repeater, which is definitely a no-no. Do we really want uh, the people that listen to us, the emergency managers, the radio and TV stations and stuff like that, hearing that kind of stuff? No, I don't think they do. I don't think we do. You know, we get a bad enough rap. We're the butt of every joke and everything else. Once again, another sore spot and a tangent that can be gone off on. Let us focus on what's going on now. And there was an exchange. You know, this comes down to everybody should have the same equipment I do. That's another one of those rude things. These guys that go out there and they make two, $3,000 a month or more every month without fail. And they can afford to buy a little bit of radio equipment or even worse, the ones that work and make more money. They can just go out and throw down money for whatever piece of equipment they want. They're the ones that will tell you, oh, no, you have to have a $400 antenna. Oh, no, you have to run a kilowatt. Oh, no, you have to have the biggest, best, most expensive dual bander before you can ever get on the air. There's more of us working closer to the minimum wage level than there are them guys. Now, I don't make minimum wage, but, uh, in in fact... uh, I'm more in the middle of the road category, the first category where I can, given a little time, save the money to buy the equipment I need. 
but there's an awful lot of folks out there getting their licenses that have little or no income. In the response to that from one of these rude hams over at this particular club I was talking about is, well, you know, if they're making minimum wage, they probably shouldn't be radio operators anyway. Now, that's friendly. That's a hobby-building attitude. That's it. We'd have a perfect hobby if everybody who had the money to uh, go walk into their favorite candy store and throw down the throw down the cash to get, and get whatever piece of equipment they wanted, we would have a much much better hobby. Well, unfortunately, this particular show we try and keep it from getting an explicit tag, or I would say exactly how I feel about that. When the fact of the matter is, the new guys, the ones who have only have a two meter radio and they have to carry it back and forth between their car or they only have a handheld but they've been able to get their hands on a decent antenna and probably a, a 35 watt amplifier so they can use it in the house or in their car or whatever these are the guys that carry the workload and even the ones that have been around a long time and don't have the money to stock up on equipment, they're the ones that carry the load. These little fancy pants uh, uh, folks that think that everybody should have the same equipment they do, they're the ones that tear down the hobby. The guy with his hand held, slogging through the mud, trying to communicate or the guy that's sitting in a car riding with a constable or something reporting on storm damage or uh, the guy who's set up at a shelter with his <laughs> HTX 202 and a 35 watt amplifier plugged into a mag mount sitting on top of something uh, helping to uh, make sure that communications are open to that shelter these are the guys that get the work done not the ones that think you ought to go out and buy $500 worth of equipment so you you can know where your car is. They're not necessarily the ones. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of these guys, they're great guys. They're great administrators. But we've really got to get past this. Uh, you know, if I've got this kind of equipment, everybody should have it. So let's plan around that. You know, last but not least on this particular segment, I just want to talk about something else or the same thing but a different situation, which was there was recently a public service event where uh, that kind of thinking was going on. Now, everybody that listens to this show knows I'm not a big fan of APRS. Never have been. I can't see taking something, stripping half of it away, and then using it which is the situation with the packet involved with APRS. However, with those thoughts aside, there was a public service event set up here locally where it was decided that everybody would run APRS. We would even go to the edge of legality and put uh, APRS stations in vehicles that the operator the call sign belonged to wasn't even in. Well, because of this, the voice operations or phone operations for that this particular event were moved 
to a different band for 40 which would not be a problem if everybody immediately ran down got a 440 radio instead of a two meter radio as soon as they got licensed therefore there were people who did not have the equipment for voice operations on that band so what ended up happening those that did not have the equipment uh, had to use other people's radios had to borrow a radio well whereas it didn't make a difference somebody would lend you a radio if something happened to it and uh, they got it back and it wasn't functioning 20 years ago today there would have been a big fight and whatever about that equipment you pay for it whether you can pay for it or not you get it taken care of you pay for it now immediately give me a credit card something because of the rudeness of today's hams Another problem with that was it was that thinking of, hey, I've got all this equipment. Why can't everybody else? Or I can afford to go out and buy $300 worth of equipment and put it together to make an APRS station. Why can't you? Well, I don't know about y'all, but if I got $300, I'm for sure not going to spend it on APRS. Anyway, occasionally y'all had get a rant from me and I I'm sorry about that. But I know but it just keeps building. I keep seeing examples and I have to talk about it. I have to talk about it. And I can't talk about it here because we have megalomaniacal club presidents that think it's proper to have verbal disputes on the air with everybody listening instead of taking it offline because then we can let the emergency manager hear it we can let all the other hams in the club hear it we can let all the non-hams that listen on a scanner hear it not only do we have rudeness we have lack of decorum anyway sorry about that y'all but I had to get it out. I like to hear y'all's comments on it. So uh, y'all know how to get get with me on that. And if not, listen to the end of the show, and I'll give y'all the information then. But with that, let's move on to the next segment. Yeah. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. 
All right, and we're back. Okay, before we get started, I want you all to know that this segment is about uh, rapid chargers and wall warts. And no matter where we go in this segment, uh, that is what it boils down to. So y'all keep that in mind. All right. Uh, we're getting back. This is, I guess this would be considered part of the uh, uh, battery series I did uh, earlier. And we're going to talk about charging systems uh, best we can. Uh, maybe not in a, episode for episode, but we'll get them all done. This time I want to talk about rapid chargers and wall warts. Now, desktop chargers come in two kinds, rapid chargers and slow chargers. And your standard wall wart, most everybody knows what those are, wall transformer that uh, you plug into your handheld and charge your batteries. Okay. Convenience-wise, I'm a firm believer in the rapid chargers. Desktop chargers are probably the most convenient thing in the world. Uh, especially if you've got a lot of items that use wall transformers and you find yourself having to hunt down the thing, plug it in, and everything else. Plus, the benefit that the rapid chargers will allow you, in most cases, to have a full charge on your battery in an hour or so. Having said all that, now you probably all think that I'm a fan of rapid chargers. Well, no, I'm not a rapid charger fanboy, and I'm not a wall wart fanboy. Uh, I know they both have uses. They're both uh, good equipment. And even the wall warts, when you're talking about uh, chargers for your car, work in a similar fashion. Now, the thing you have to understand is that most handhelds operate at less than 12 volts. In fact, I have uh, I have a Vertex VX150 that... The average operating voltage of the batteries on it is 7.6 volts, I believe. HTX 202s I used to carry. Very few. I think the uh, highest capacity battery I had was 9.6 volts or somewhere in the neighborhood of that. I also have a, D, a little D-Star handheld that uh, I'm not real sure what the uh, battery voltage is on it. I bet it's probably closer to 6 or 7 volts anyway. In most cases, the uh, operating voltage for the batteries on your handheld are going to be down below 10 volts. Now, with the uh, wall wart, you'll find if, if you take the wall wart that came with your handheld and you look at the information on it, because all these wall warts, uh, all these wall transformers have information on them, you'll be able to check the output on it. And in the case of a lot of handhelds, and I won't say all of them because I don't know, but in the case of most of them, that wall wart puts out a voltage of 12 volts or somewhere really close to 12 volts with a fairly low amperage, uh, anywhere from 200 milliwatts to, I think I've seen them as high as five or 700 I actually had a 1-amp 12-volt wall wart that I used for uh, for running some piece of equipment at one time, but uh, I didn't really need it. I just I figured the tougher it was, the longer it lasts, and that turned out to be the case. 
Now, your average rapid charger, on the other hand, is going to have higher voltage. It's going to push more amperage. That's the way it's able to pack that, pack that energy into that battery in a smaller space of time. Now, one of the things that we need to discuss when we're talking about wall warts as opposed to rapid chargers is the main uh, problem with batteries. And it doesn't matter if it's uh, your standard rechargeable battery. It doesn't matter if it's a Duracell, uh, uh, Energizer battery. It doesn't matter if it's a high-capacity lithium battery in your laptop. It doesn't matter if it's the, the lead-acid batteries in a forklift. It doesn't matter. The number one cause of battery failure is thermal damage and this is where you have to decide what you're going to do when charging your batteries thermal damage Uh, one of the key things that happens and is considered thermal damage is outgassing when overcharging a battery or charging a battery too fast you can cause that battery outgas since the electricity in a battery is uh, is held due to chemical reactions you can cause the chemicals involved to separate from whatever medium and leave the battery in the case of a car battery when it outgasses it releases hydrogen because the battery in a car is acid and water and out of the acid in the uh, in the battery, uh, one of the recombinations of the oxygen releases the hydrogen. Uh, you may smell sulfur also because of the particular acid used. Even gel cells uh, can release chemicals. Uh, just about any. Uh, time you take two couple chemicals and put them together and there's a possibility they can recombine under heat you're talking about outgassing this can definitely shorten the life of your batteries and one of the things that will do this is charging them too fast or overcharging them i mean you can get the same result in some batteries by leaving them in your car up on the dash in your car on a hot summer day one of the other problems is that uh, due to the laws of physics, and y'all don't get me wrong, I'm not a physicist. Shoot, I'm barely an amateur radio operator sometimes. But when matter is heated, it expands. When it is cooled, it contracts. Let me say that again. When matter is heated, it expands. When it's cooled, it contracts. Now, this is one of the simplest things we ever learned. Now, you're probably scratching your head and saying, Damn, Richard, what's this got to do with it? This takes us back to thermal thermal damage, which also takes us back to wall warts and rapid chargers. Now, a rapid charger works. Uh, Most of them have what's called a thermal cutoff which means when the battery reaches a certain temperature, it shuts off the charger. Uh, Most chargers don't read voltage. They don't read amperage. They don't, uh, 
They don't really care what's going on with the battery other than the temperature of the battery. They don't have timers. You know, don't get me wrong. There are some that have all these things. But your average run-of-the-mill rapid charger uses uh, uses the heat of the battery to judge when the battery is charged. So when you're pushing that energy into the battery, it heats up. When it heats up for us, uh, at a, to a specific point, the rapid charger shuts off. Now, on the other hand, the wall wart uh, doesn't even have that. So the wall wart will never shut down. It will continue to run all up to and including the time when the output of the wall wart equals the voltage and or amperage of the battery. This is also not good. But it's easier to control with a wall wart because of the amounts of time that are involved. The amount of time it takes to charge off a wall wart is much higher than that of a rapid charger. So you said something about thermal damage is what you're probably thinking to yourself right now. And with the heating and cooling of the battery, and don't get me wrong, they heat and cool when you use a use a uh, a wall work too but with the heating and cooling of the battery this creates stresses in the material that separates the chemicals that helps to create this particular uh, uh, item we call a battery and you have to kind of understand that a battery in most cases is built or the cell of a battery, in most cases is built kind of like a capacitor. Now, when I was a kid, we used to like overcharge capacitors and blow them up just to see what was inside of them. I don't know how many of y'all have done that. Of course, I like stuff blowing up. But uh, what you'll find inside that capacitor is that you have two layers of material, conductive material separated by a non-conductive material. And this is kind of similar to a battery in the fact that you have metal plates that separate the chemicals. Now, with the heating and cooling of that battery, those plates expand and they contract. And they expand and they contract. We talked about, uh, when we were talking about batteries specifically, we talked about dendrites forming in uh, uh, nickel nickel cadmium batteries. And one of the reasons those dendrites are able to form and short those cells is because over time, with the heating and cooling of those separating layers, they start to form cracks and splits. And that's why when you clear those dendrites, it's only a temporary fix. You don't permanently fix a battery by uh, zapping it and clearing the dendrites. Now, in the case of a rapid charger you're more likely to have this because the rapid charger heats the battery to a higher temperature and then it cools back off to room temperature or 30 degrees if you're outside in the cold and causes stresses on that material which causes it to split. A wall wart will do the same thing. However, it won't do it as quickly and it won't do it in such a dramatic way 
simply because the amount of heating you get due to the slow charging, the slow charging of these batteries is not anywhere near that of what you get in a rapid charger. So, we're getting kind of long on this segment, but there are some things I still want to say. Which is better, the rapid charger or the wall charger? Well, there's a lot of different thought on that. Longevity of your batteries can be achieved in most in most cases by using the wall warp. Even though it takes 10, 12, 15 hours to charge your battery. Now this doesn't mean that you can't have long-lived batteries if you use exclusively a rapid charger. And it, one of those exceptions to the rule is very dramatic. Y'all hear me talk about my, two, my HTX-202s quite often. Best handheld I ever had. And one of the things that uh, puts it in that category for me is the fact that I used ex- exclusively a rapid charger to charge the battery packs. When I first got them around 93 or 94... I went to Hamcom, bought some high-capacity batteries, and used those same high-capacity batteries until 2006. That's 12 years, 12, 13 years. And the reason for that is, I don't know. (laughs) I really can't tell you. I know that I was diligent about making sure that they always had a good charge, I was diligent about making sure that they were always uh, properly drained. They were taken off the radio at the proper point to be recharged. I took, did the best I could to take care of them, and they were exclusively charged in rapid chargers. So it's not always the case that they will last longer if all you do is charge them with a wall warp. And as long as you take care of your equipment... It will last, and it will be there for you. In fact, I haven't used a, I'm not sure I even have an HTX-202 anymore, but I do have some battery packs here, and I'm sure I could probably put a full charge on them uh, by plugging them into one of these 12-volt wall warts I've got around here. And they would work probably not like new, but far better than a battery pack that old should. So, now I've given you a lot of information on not getting an answer. It's pretty much choice, and I still feel if you have the opportunity to charge your battery packs off a wall wart, then go that route. Rapid charges are nice, and they can really save you butt. You know, it's not like these... uh, those HTX-202s didn't get a workout because I've always used the repeater closest to my house. I can't get on the one that's closest to my house right now because the club president over that club doesn't want me on his repeater. Uh, he's trying to silence my voice because he's afraid I might put bad thoughts into people's heads. But normally, I use the repeater closest to where I live so I can use my handheld. Those HTX-202s got a serious workout because they were my primary radios for a long, long time. Uh, Not because I didn't have bigger radios, but it was all I needed. 
So there's some stuff to think about, and I'm sorry about that. I just snapped the world-famous clicking pen. And y'all go ahead and uh, digest that a little while. And once you uh, do that, I'm sure you'll have some questions and get with me. Uh, Send me an email. Tackle me on Twitter. Come see me on Facebook. Whatever. I'm, I'm accessible. I may be off the air on the VHF side at this at this moment in time, but that doesn't mean y'all can't get a hold of me. So with that, I think we've probably talked uh, all we can talk about at this point about uh, rabbit chargers and warlords. <laughs> and I guess we'll just go ahead and move on to the next segment.
Well, there you go. We've successfully negotiated another episode of Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. I'm not going to put you all to sleep uh, since we're already running a little over. I'm not going to put you all to sleep uh, any more than I have to. Uh, if you want to get all the music provided in this episode was provided by Brad Sucks. <laughs> yes, Brad Sucks from the album. Uh, I don't know what I'm doing, which would probably be an apt title for this particular podcast. It's available over at Magnatunes. Go, go check it out. www.magnatunes.org. I think org or comp Magnatunes. Uh, it can be downloaded inexpensively. Uh, I would go check it out. There's a lot of good music over there. As for getting in contact with me, uh, check out your social networks. Type in KB5JBV and see if I'm there. I know for sure I'm on Twitter, Identica, and Facebook, and probably a bunch of others. Uh, If you want to send me a direct email, please contact me at KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Or visit the website, rfpodcast.info. rfpodcast.info. Uh, we're trying to get more information up over there and make it more interesting. Go check it out. It's changing all the time. If you want to leave a message in the forums, go over to blacksparrowmedia.com. We have forums for Linux in the Ham Shack and Resonant Frequency over there. Uh, and some other stuff for folks. Uh, y'all go over and check it out, especially if you're interested in the Linux operating system. I think that's pretty much covered it. Uh, I think we got all that out of the way. And like I said, for those of you who are still awake, uh, I don't want to go ahead and put y'all to sleep. So with that, y'all uh, y'all have a great time. Uh, I'm going to spend this Labor Day weekend trying to find a repeater that I can get on without somebody picking a fight with me. And uh, with that, we'll see y'all next time. She's alone all by herself Her body hair car's a mess And nobody cares about a thing she says Cut your losses and pack it in Just taking it for a spin Just lucky you didn't wind up dead Safe wasn't good enough. Maybe once you should lose your mind. Well, it's hard to believe it sometimes, but everything's gonna work out fine. Took the chance and down in a busted car half off the pavement Ain't it safe wasn't good enough Maybe once you should lose your mind Well it's hard to believe it sometimes 
Talking to strangers and going through change.